Hello and welcome to the Pixel Swim Podcast, episode 39. This is the podcast where I take a dive into my personal journey through design and technology and where they meet, plus other tidbits I find interesting. My name is Steve Heinrich, the host, uh, by myself again today. <laughs> it's a reoccurring trend on this podcast. Anyway, uh, this episode is being recorded on Wednesday, October 17th, and will be released on Thursday, October 18th, 2018. Visit pixelswim.com for the show notes and social links if you want to follow along, or you can go in your podcast app and find all the show notes there and tap any of the links that I share. I'll try and link as much as I can. So yeah, let's dive in. So yeah, it's October, which is probably one of my favorite months. I am a big fan of the autumn (laughs) or the fall or whatever you want to call it. You know, the weather getting cooler and and changing and all the leaves changing and all that stuff. I'm not like obsessed with the leaves changing, but it's, I don't know, it's something about this weather I really like. Anyway, I I won't carry out too long there. Anyway, let's dive in this week and start with a bunch of feedback, which (laughs) may take up a majority of the show. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, I got a bunch of people to thank this week after the last episode and also just in general. So the first person is Mike Latori, who was able to leave a comment on the show notes page of the last episode. So Mike was talking about how uh, he was he was kind of referencing the when I was talking about last week, the not restarting my phone. I think at that point it had been, you know, 23 days or whatever it had been the last time, basically not needing to restart my phone. And he talked about his wife's Galaxy S8 and that, you know, she hardly ever restarts it and that it actually uh, shows a restart message. It, it pops up a message on the phone saying, hey, might want to restart, which I think is crazy. And it just all kind of goes to not crazy in a bad way. It just like it's nice that they that they let an average user know that, the, you know, they should probably restart their phone to kind of get a to kind of reset everything and get everything running more efficiently again. So I thought that was interesting that Mike had shared that and just uh, also that it just goes to show how far Android has come over the past few uh, over since I started using Android, the very first Android phone. It's restarting the phone was kind of just part of owning an Android phone. And I'm sure uh, that it probably was this way in the iPhone world as well. But uh, restarting the phone was kind of a standard procedure because the software just wasn't, you know, as as well optimized as it is these days. So it's 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 just nice to not have to worry about it anymore, really that much. Uh, But with that said, I did actually end up restarting my phone. (laughs) So I it was at 30 days, exactly 30 days I had the phone on and running and it just was starting to get a little it was starting to get laggy. So I decided to power it off and leave it off for a few minutes and then power it back on. So and everything's running really well again. So that was this last Sunday, I believe. So one restart in 30 days. That's not bad. And I I probably could have kept going, but I knew that, you know, some of these small lags I was seeing, especially opening the, the settings and and stuff you could just tell that the phone was a little bit clogged up <laughs> with whatever you know junk it gathers over time. So 
I restarted and everything's running really well again. So let's see if I can go another 30 days or not. <laughs> but uh, I'll talk a little bit about why I might not in a little bit here. But uh, Mike also actually mentioned because he was talking about the Unihertz Atom, which is a device I talked about last time potentially getting for my wife because it's a tiny little Android device. Uh, and she, you know, she wants to downsize and not have to carry around a bigger phone. So Mike actually pointed out that uh, on the Mobile Tech Roundup podcast with Kevin Tuffle and Matt Miller, uh, episode 435 of the Mobile Tech Roundup podcast, uh, Matt Miller actually had the device in and kind of did a little bit of a review on that episode. That's episode 435. And so I went and actually listened to and Mike was kind enough to to tell me the uh, timestamp where I could find the um, Matt's kind of shortish, you know, review of it. So and uh, he did talk about Matt did talk about on that podcast that, you know, typing on it really wasn't as bad <laughs> as he thought it would. And he I guess he's a, a bigger guy and, you know, bigger hands, bigger guys. So uh, that was kind of encouraging. So the Unihertz Atom is definitely not out of the op- off, off the list or out of, you know, contention at this point, you know. But with that said, I mean, I, the reviews that I have seen, they, they <laughs> it goes both ways. Some people say, oh, my God, it's impossible to type on this thing. And also it's, you know, it's and then reviews like for Matt, where it's you know, they talk about, hey, it's actually a lot easier than I thought it would be. So we shall see on that Unihertz Atom. And thanks to Mike for leaving those comments on the on the show notes page. And along in the same vein, along the same lines, uh, just want to thank Guillermo Ortiz for reaching out via email after the last episode. He actually suggested trying out or trying to find the Elephone Q. So I, I, this rang a bell and I remember, and then when I Googled it, it's a, it's another tiny Android device from a few years ago, I think running KitKat. So Guillermo suggested, Hey, why not try and find one of these maybe really cheap off of eBay and, and just uh, try it out as far as the size, you know, so you can kind of trial it and see if it'll work. And then you can dive in and, and purchase the Unihertz Atom if it, you know, the size isn't an issue. So I thought that was a really great, great idea, great suggestion, you know. So I did actually start to look into the whether or not the I could find one of these Elephone cues online. I guess there are a Chinese manufactured device, uh, Chinese company, and I couldn't. <laughs> unfortunately, I couldn't find one uh, to try out. But I did look at the the specs and the sizing of it would be perfect for testing out but i'll keep my eye out and keep researching and seeing if i can find a cheap tiny device like this just to maybe you know have a little bit of a trial with it and not me necessarily but my wife so she could try out the size and decide whether or not it'll be something that she can use so thanks to guillermo for reaching out about that and and still talking about the unihertz atom uh, people like to uh, responded to this quite a bit, which is, you know, I that's actually makes sense because it's a tiny little weird Android device. So we're all kind of strange people, I guess, in the phone community, <laughs> especially if you're listening to this podcast, then you probably have had and looked at or at least looked at some strange phones and been, and been curious. So 
Uh, lots of feedback about that, Adam, the Unihertz Adam phone. But uh, Frank Needhart reached out on the show notes page in the comment section, which you can do for this very episode. But he suggested he's he suggested this to me in the past, actually, via email. And he suggested it again in that the iPhone SE would probably be a good size for my wife because it's considerably smaller than than most smart modern smartphones. And I actually I really do wish that my wife could use the iPhone SE. And I kind of I commented back to Frank that it would probably be a bigger change for her to use iOS <laughs> than it would to be to try and adjust to a tiny Android device. Uh, I imagine, but I don't know for sure. Honestly, the iPhone SE would probably be the perfect size phone for her. And considering that the specs on it and the the OS on it are actually pretty decent, I think she could get the size of it. I think she would love. I don't know that she would love iOS. And <laughs> unfortunately, I've got us all, our, both of us on the Android kind of ecosystem. And it's, I mean, she's only used Android, so she's never actually used iOS in any way. Uh, I think she had, well, no, that's not iOS. I was going to say she had an iPod, but uh, that's that's not iOS. But you know what I'm saying? Uh, no Apple products other than like an iPod. So I don't know. Maybe the the learning curve wouldn't be so bad. With that iPhone SE, uh, I did look into it after Frank suggested it again. I went and did the just to to kind of clarify in my head how big that iPhone SE is. I went to Phone Arena's phone size comparison tool. I pulled up the LG Q6, which is what my wife is currently using, and then I pulled up the iPhone SE. And it's yeah, it's can it, I wouldn't say it's like considerably smaller, like like the Unihertz Atom or anything like that. But I honestly think that that size of the iPhone SE would be perfect for her. And maybe it's going to you know, I'm not adverse to an iOS device. I just I don't know if it's if the software is going to be I don't know. I just don't know if if it's going to work for her or not, if it's too much to kind of, you know, have her dive into the iOS ecosystem just for the size of a device. I mean, part of the reason the Unihertz Atom it would probably work for her is because she wouldn't have to relearn the the OS and where things are. Although, you know, I, she doesn't dig too far into the OS. So using things like apps and stuff like that probably wouldn't be uh, much different for her because she doesn't necessarily go into the settings and and stuff like that. So once we get the device set up for her, I'm sure she could probably use it, you know, pretty easily. So I'm going to talk to her and see what what she, you know, is willing to do. I don't know if she'll be willing to do that. I've kind of drilled Android into her head and, you know, we it's one of those we're an Android household, you know, one of those those dividing things where don't bring your iOS in here. You know, we will have the uh, yeah, the green and the blue bubbles. We don't even worry about that kind of thing. But uh, I'm going to talk to you about it because I think that the phone size would be perfect for her on that SE. Uh, Frank also commented that he loves the Windows phone experience and that he'll fire up his Windows phone devices and and just kind of 
he gets a warm feeling from them. And so I can definitely relate to that, Frank. I, I Windows Phone and Windows 10 Mobile, Windows Phone 8.1 specifically are uh, they're some of my favorite. That's, you know, my I feel at home with those operating systems. And I just feel like it's unfortunate. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many times we're going to be beat a dead OS, but it's it's unfortunate it didn't didn't take off uh, because I think it really had the potential to be great. And, you know, really the app gap and I and, you know, a bunch of things that Microsoft did just kind of made it fall dead in its tracks. So anyway, yeah, Frank, I definitely relate to that feeling of Windows Phone. And I think Windows Phone really is probably the reason that I got so into smartphones. I mean, I did like Android, but if I had just followed Android from the beginning and didn't go any any other direction, if I didn't try Windows Phone, I don't think I would have gotten too much more into smartphones because I feel like Windows Phone was radically different uh, as far as the interface goes. I mean, obviously, it does a you know, it's a lot of the same things. You know, you, there's social media apps sharing capabilities and you know, and all they all offer very similar things, but just not in the way that Windows Phone felt. So it's just one of those things where I wish that oh, I wish I could use my Windows phones as a daily driver. And actually, I'll get to something about that in a little bit, too. Anyway, so thanks to Frank for leaving those comments. I really appreciate you doing that. Uh, as usual, Frank's uh, always reaching out with some good feedback. So Appreciate all the feedback and other feedback or uh, another message I received this week via email was from Ian Barton, who reached out about uh, Git again, because I think I mentioned last time I hadn't done anything with Git. It's kind of looking, you know, I didn't really get very far. I haven't gone very far in my my Git journey. So Ian actually sent me a couple of links, which are uh, good resources to get started with Git. There's like an online book to go over and read all about Git and how to get started, get started with it anyway. <laughs> so thanks to Ian for that. I really appreciate it. I really want to kind of dig into that and learn how it all works so I can, you know, maybe take my web development game to the next level because I, you know, kind of been living in a bubble a little bit. And I know, you know, I've always been aware of Git and I just really want it to want to learn how to use it and kind of learn the advantages of it. And usually uh, it takes time, you know, to figure that stuff out and to figure out the advantages of why you want to use it and, and stuff like that. So Ian sent those links that he sent were really great. I'll share those in the show notes as well. So, yeah, thanks, Ian, for that. Okay, so the next bit of feedback, or rather, I would just want to say thanks to Kyle Helms, who I had a really nice chat with this week, this last weekend, uh, via the telephone. And so uh, he's a listener of the show, and so he's down in Georgia, and I guess his power's been out for a while, but he finally got it back, so congrats, Kyle, on that. Uh, he uh, he. There's a couple of things I took away. Uh, that I just want to talk about quick. He got me thinking about Microsoft Azure. And so, uh, which happens to be my niece's name. Remember Azure? She was on. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so yeah, Microsoft Azure. So I, I didn't, re I don't really know much about exactly what the heck it is, you know, or what, what is it? 
<laughs> so uh, it's been, you know, I kind of gone down a little bit of research trying to figure out what Azure is. And so, and I know it's cloud computing. I mean, I'm not that far, you know, back. So it's just one of those, I don't know what they offer. I don't know what the services are. I don't know how to set stuff up. I don't know how to use it, that kind of thing. So I uh, started looking into that this week. And also we talked a little bit about JavaScript and how I kind of mentioned to him that I think JavaScript is breaking the web. <laughs> and so don't get me wrong. I'm not against all JavaScript. I just feel like there's so much going on in the world of, of JavaScript coding and frameworks and and just loading of scripts and so much stuff going on the web that I just I I'm not a fan of JavaScript. And I, he brought this up because I had mentioned last time that I'm thinking about moving Pixel Swim, the Pixel Swim website to a static flat file kind of website and trying not to use any JavaScript, uh, which is going to be difficult because the discuss comments actually uh, load via script. But that would hopefully that would be the only one I would have to use. But yeah, so I did, again, I commented that I thought JavaScript was breaking the web. So every, you know, I hate going to websites and my, my processor heats up the, you know, <laughs> my processor starts getting white hot and my fans can't keep up just because I'm trying to read a recipe, you know, <laughs> because there's so many ad scripts and tracking scripts and just scripts that are doing things that I don't care about, you know, things that are just making my experience way worse. Uh, advertising on the web, that's a whole nother thing to talk about, but I just don't understand why it has to be so intensive. And when, it, you know, unless, I mean, obviously these websites need JavaScript to load, well, they don't need it, but they, they choose to use JavaScript to load all of these tracking scripts and, and, and things like that. And it, I don't know, I just don't, I'm not a fan of JavaScript. I avoid it unless I absolutely need it for something when I'm making a website. So and it's not easy. You know, sometimes it is just easier to load like a jQuery and use that to add, you know, simple functionality like for a drop down menu or something like that. But uh, I'm trying to get away from that sort of idea and just make things as simple as possible, because honestly, when you go to a site, you just want to get to the information that you want to get to. You know, you don't I, I don't know about you, but I just I don't care so much about, you know, things animating all over the place and loading things like super dynamically. And I don't mind if my page refreshes, you know, I know this is, might be an issue for uh, people on slower connections throughout the world, but loading a bunch of JavaScript to update something on a page. It's also not absolutely necessary. You know, maybe it improves the experience a little bit, but I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to go stop going off about JavaScript because honestly, I don't know how to write JavaScript. Uh, I do know how to write jQuery, a little jQuery, which I guess is technically JavaScript, but it runs on, you know, jQuery is like a library, a JavaScript library. So not the same thing, but yeah. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking about that because I, I feel like I've probably said a few inaccurate things <laughs> unknowingly, hopefully not. But uh, yeah, let's just leave it at that. But thanks again, Kyle, for uh, the good com conversation. So.
Okay, so the final shout out, uh, uh, thank you this week is for uh, Tom Stewart, who yesterday, which was Tuesday, the 16th, I jumped on a Google Hangouts video chat with Tom, and he helped me to learn about Cricut. Uh, so a big thank you to Tom for taking the time to do that. Uh, he Basically, the setup was we connected via Google Hangouts, and he pointed his phone, his back camera on his phone, to his TV, where he had a DVR of a cricket uh, match, uh, or at least the highlights of a cricket match, which was still about an hour long, you know, because uh, cricket can last a long time. So even the highlight reel is an hour long. So uh, we basically sat and watched, uh, and he commented and answered questions about what 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 was going on <laughs> on the cricket pitch. So yeah, so I appreciate Tom doing that. It's a, it's a, it really really helped. And and I know it's kind of weird. I I had mentioned trying to learn about cricket a few weeks ago, I think. Uh, and it, yeah, it's kind of a weird sport to just all of a sudden be curious about, but I just was. And so Tom was nice enough to reach out and and take the time and and help me to to learn uh, by watching. And and yeah, it was a really great experience. Google Hangouts was actually pretty solid throughout the whole thing. It lasted for about an hour before my uh, home Wi-Fi kind of crapped out a little bit. And uh, yeah, but it worked. It actually worked pretty well. And, you know, I hate <laughs> I know I've been going on and on about Google and and all of that, but there you can't deny their services are some of the best on the web. I mean, they just they know how to make a web service. And so Google Hangouts video call was pretty good. I mean, it, you know, it got a little uh, pixelated and blurry, but for the most part, it was very, very clear. So a uh, good experience. I, you know, I'll probably use it again. I haven't really used it in the past. The video calling feature, I've always used the the text or the the messaging, you know, the text message not text messaging, but it's like the, the I am the Google Hangouts. I am my wife and I actually use it quite a bit because uh, it's open in Gmail. We both use Gmail. So on our laptops via browser. So it's kind of easy to just since we're both usually working a lot during the day to, you know, type messages to each other while we have the, the Gmail open in the browser. So, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> getting a little off track. Uh, but yeah, thanks again, Tom, for that. I am still looking into cricket. Really, kind of made things much more clear. It's kind of a lot of weird, <laughs> weird things going on in cricket that I'm very new for me. So, but it, you know, it was a great way to kind of set things up and and do things. You know, uh, we are across the world from you know across an ocean from each other and. It was like we were, you know, in separate, you know, in separate rooms in the same house. So a very cool experience and just uh, grateful for it. Uh, grateful that technology has really kind of brought uh, me together with a bunch of people <laughs> that I never would have met otherwise. So, uh, yeah, thanks again, Tom. OK, so the next thing that I want to talk a little bit about is I have been thinking about using my Lumia 1020 as my main device for a little while. <laughs> so yeah, I've been using my LG G6 for over a month, obviously, because I had it on for 30 days straight. But I'm kind of, you know, I kind of want to take a little bit of a mobile phone 
detox. And this it's kind of sad that I would use a Windows Phone 8.1 device to do that, but such is the state of Windows Mobile or Windows Phone 8.1, uh, where it, you, you know if you want to detox from an Android or an iOS device, a Windows Phone device actually isn't you know the worst thing in the world. It's not too far off from a feature phone these days. <clears throat> and actually, I think I was talking to I believe his name is Darren Morin on Twitter, and he mentioned that he has an Alcatel flip phone that he uses to kind of detox from his mobile devices basically just a feature phone you know use it for phone calls and and messages and stuff like that so I uh, considered because I haven't used this 1020 really very much and I did have it unlocked when I got it now I got it from uh, Steve Litchfield and it was AT&T lock so now it's unlocked and I really haven't taken advantage of that so I have turned it on uh, at almost every day <laughs> this week, which is saying something for an old, one of my old uh, Lumia devices. And so I've been kind of trying to see if I could set it up in a way that would help kind of simplify things for me for a little bit, because I feel like I've been too, too, you know, I am a mobile tech geek, but I just feel like I needed a maybe potentially need a little break from the Android kind of experience or the smartphone, you know, the, the today's smartphone experience where you can where you have access to everything whenever you want it. And you kind of and I've been kind of, you know, habitually just turning it on all the time, scrolling through Twitter, scrolling through other things. And and just it's one of those I just I don't know. And especially on Twitter, there can be a lot of negativity on there. And so it, I just feel like I want to get away from Twitter for a little bit. And I actually, uh, as far as Twitter goes, I cut down, I was following 499 people <laughs> or accounts at least. They're not all people, but so I cut that down to about 356. Uh, and, and I based it a lot off of what I saw, you know, accounts that every time they would show up in my feed, it would, you know, kind of get negative things emotions coming you know uh things that i didn't things that i'm trying to get away from so i i pruned my twitter account i'm sure everybody listening to this is still i'm still following you so don't don't worry i didn't cut anybody you know uh that way you can check i guess if i'm if we're twitter buddies but anyway so that was just kind of part of my digital detox but uh i want to kind of because I've talked about trying to use the Lumia 1020 camera in the past and I haven't gotten around to it. So I figured why not throw my SIM card in there and I can still listen to music. I can still listen to podcasts on there. So that's what I've been doing this week is trying to, you know, get there's a couple things that I still want and podcasts and music is one of them. And I believe the Pandora app <laughs> still works for Windows Phone 8.1. So that's kind of what I've been looking at. I'm not sure when I will throw my SIM card in there, but I will hopefully, hopefully I can do that soon because I feel like I could use a little break from the the uh, modern smartphone world and just kind of take it easy because honestly, there's no good Twitter experience on Windows Phone 8.1, even through the browser. So you can't get to the to the Twitter PWA through the 
Explorer <laughs> browser on Windows Phone 8.1. So we'll see. I'm going to try and I'll have to think about it a little bit more, but it's in it's in my head lately just because things are, you know, I just want to get away from it a little bit. But also, um, because I uh, speaking of kind of my Lumia, old Lumia phones, I was just kind of taking a look through eBay and this week and I every once in a while I'll I'll throw in a search for the HTC 8X, which is a Windows phone device. It was actually the first Windows phone device that I owned and got me into the world of Windows phone. So and this uh, I always kind of look on eBay for it to see if there's any if anybody's selling the T the blue T-Mobile version, which is the one that I had. And I'm always looking to maybe get a deal on it and 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 put it in my into my archive. So I've got an archive of the the technically the 1020, the 920 and the 950. So that's my Windows phone archive. But I kind of want to buy that HTC 8X back because I loved that device. And it was one of my one of my favorites. So I actually have one. I found one on eBay. It's in my cart for 30 bucks and uh, just found a case for five bucks. And I'm thinking for thirty five dollars, put it in the archive. I think I I might do that. (laughs) So uh, I just, you know, to have it on hand, no, no uh, real plans to use it for my everyday use. But you never know. Never know if I'll just get that hankering (laughs) for using it every day but I just wanted to mention that because that's in my been in my head and in my eBay cart apparently now so we shall see if I can pull the trigger on that one that would be you know for the archive (laughs) I mean it's 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 I over the years I've never really kept devices around because usually I had to sell them in order to buy the next device. And so I had to sell the HTC 8X back when I had it in order to get whatever device, you know, to have the funds to get the extra device. But uh, now that I've kind of found you can get some of these devices really cheap, it's, you know, I just kind of come to the <laughs> come to the conclusion or the the realization that I kind of want to have a little bit of an archive and I like to pick these devices up every once in a while and and try them out. So we shall see if that if I check out. I'm sure I will. I, I just honestly, I don't. It's too cheap. It's uh, and the thing is, is the one that I found on eBay is a really nice condition. And I don't know. I feel like I'm trying to convince myself right now. So I'm just going to move on <laughs> and hopefully I'll I'll buy that soon. And continuing on the subject of my mobile devices and my Lumia 950, I actually have three batteries for my Lumia 950 right now. The one that's in the phone is technically a bigger capacity battery for it. Uh, it kind of runs the same as the the 3000 milliamp battery, uh, OEM batteries. So I'm not too upset that it doesn't, you know, last longer. Obviously, the 950 doesn't have the greatest efficiency anyway. But I do have two 950 batteries just kind of sitting in my phone stand and I actually haven't touched them in a while and I pulled them both out uh well not pulled them out but I just picked them up from the stand and they were both bloated which kind of sucks <laughs> so basically the two 
extra batteries that I had for the 950, uh, I can't use them anymore. They have, you know, expanded or bloated out. And so it's unfortunate. And I just thought I'd mention it because the 950, one of the selling points is the fact that you can swap out the battery. So technically right now I only have one good battery for it. So can't swap it out. But anyway, (laughs) moving on. So if you follow me on Twitter, you'll actually know, or well, maybe know if you see if you saw on Twitter that I actually picked up a Roku streaming stick for our house or our, our bedroom TV, I should say. Uh, and there was some reasoning behind getting this. It's been in my head for a little while. It pops in and out of, you know, maybe we should get a, a Roku streaming, you know, something, a new Roku, because uh, we actually have an old Roku uh, it's like the Roku HD or something like that down in the living room. But that thing's old and was abandoned a while ago. And I remember actually a couple of years ago, Roku, sp- you know, spamming me with emails to buy a new one, buy a new Roku, because they could see that I was still using <laughs> the old one with the old software on it. So but you know what? The the software that runs on it actually runs pretty fast. Uh, you know, even though it's not the greatest interface and it's not the easiest to use, it still works, you know, so we'll leave it and keep it in the living room. But uh, we just I decided to pick up a a Roku streaming stick. So that's the one that plugs right into the HDMI outlet, but still needs <laughs> also needs a micro USB uh, plug with a power source. So we have a Philips TV in our bedroom. It's like a 29 inch or something like that. Not huge. So we bought that TV because it came with a few. It was, you know, it was a quote unquote smart TV. So it came with a few installed apps, I guess you could say. Uh, the the Netflix app, I believe there's a Hulu app on there. Um, either way, we use the Netflix app on it all the time. Uh, and the software on this Philips TV, because it's a few years old, the software on it, well, is essentially abandoned now. So there's there hasn't been an update for about a year and a half. And also, it's really slow. And the Netflix app actually kind of morph and update a little bit as the as we had the TV and bringing in the new artwork and stuff. So the Netflix app wasn't too out of date, I guess you could say, but it was just very slow. <laughs> uh, it just didn't, it, it, the the interface was okay, but everything just loaded really slow, not just because of a network connection. It was just very laggy, I guess would be a better way to put it. Oh, and there's also a YouTube app on the TV. And there's no, those are pretty much, you're pretty much stuck in this tiny little ecosystem on this Philips TV. But yeah, we use the Netflix app. We used, I tried using the YouTube app a few times and usually it while also being really laggy and really slow would kind of crash <laughs> a lot uh the netflix app never crashed but it had a lot of bugs and was laggy <clears throat> so part of what would happen is say you're watching like a tv show and then you finish an episode and you know it does pop up like oh the next episode's going to start in 15 seconds or whatever or you could press it so you could press the button and then the next episode would start or at least the audio would, <laughs> but there would be no video and it would, you know, it wouldn't it, usually it would eventually pop on the video in synchronization with the audio. 
But a lot of times there was, you know, 10 to 20 seconds or 30 seconds or sometimes not at all. The, the, the video portion of the whatever the, the show is would not show up. So you'd have to hit back and go and then actually select that episode and hit play again and reload it. So, I mean, I know it's not a big deal, but when you have to do it all the time and everything's just really laggy, you know, just and you know that there's better experience out there. So that's why I decided to finally just go out and get a Roku streaming stick. So they're about thirty dollars now, which is not bad at all. I think the the Roku we have in the living room was, was like a fifty or sixty dollar Roku. So thirty dollars is not bad. So uh, they got it all set up very pretty quickly you know i kind of knew all of the the small nuances of of connecting all your accounts and apps and and stuff like that and man it is such a uh, a better much better faster experience with you know obviously a huge app ecosystem for the roku stick for roku um a lot of free content on there but also a really nicely working youtube app a real netflix is super fast and the other thing about the Netflix app, and I'm I'm sure I'm just like, <laughs> people are like, yeah, of course it does that. Ours has been doing that for a while, you know, that kind of thing. But in the Netflix app, if you just hover over a a program, <laughs> a movie or TV show, a preview starts playing on the screen. And at first I was annoyed by this. I thought, oh, I'm trying to scroll through. If I don't scroll to the next thing fast enough, the preview is going to start playing. So I was like, oh, you know, this is annoying. How do I turn this off? I couldn't find any way to turn it off in the settings. So I was just like, OK, I stuck with it. But I actually found that it's super useful <laughs> and I can understand why Netflix would implement this because I there's a lot of things on Netflix that I'm like, eh, I don't want to watch that. Eh, don't want to watch that. I don't feel like watching that. But it actually turned out that it was pretty useful to preview things and kind of get a better idea of what programming, especially the Netflix original stuff most of it i'm like ah, i don't really care you know and so if you leave it and you watch the previews for some of it it's actually it actually piqued my interest in a lot of things and it was smart of netflix to do this because i feel like they probably weren't getting as as many views because people just didn't know what this stuff was about and the netflix summaries their their little synopsis synopses <laughs> are actually not the best so a preview definitely helps get a better idea of what the show or the movie is about so yeah we've been really enjoying it uh, especially the fact that we can actually have a usable youtube app which is nice to have on the tv so uh, I've been using it quite a bit and enjoying it so fast. For me, it's like it's lightning fast compared to what the TV was offering. So uh, boo to Philips, but, you know, that the Roku, hopefully we can have this Roku for a little while before they abandon that and <laughs> move on to the next thing. But it's been really enjoyable so far. OK, so I just have a few links that I want to share to kind of close out the show. Uh, the first one is a to a page or a, it's an article tutorial called how to create Chrome extensions from scratch. And this is on hongkiet.com, I believe it is. I've been to this website a few times. Uh, basically, just a nice, simple tutorial going over how to set up a Chrome extension. So this is something that I've always been kind of interested in doing. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll go or be on a website and I want to 
you know, add functionality or if you want to, you want to add functionality to a website or just add a little tool to Chrome or something like that. Even though I really haven't used Chrome recently, uh, I th- there's actually a way to install Chrome extensions on Firefox too. So uh, it's not completely useless. But if you've ever been curious about how these are set up in the structure of a Chrome extension, uh, I think the one that he does is like a to-do, a little to-do extension where it just pops up a little window of a list that you can add items to, which is pretty basic, but it, you know, helps you get the idea of the structure of a Chrome extension and, and how they work. They're basically uh, CSS, HTML, and JavaScript, which I know I just <laughs> went on about JavaScript. But anyway, uh, yeah, just check it out in the show notes, the link to that. Uh, if you've ever been curious about it, it's really not as difficult as as you know you might think. I mean, well, maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> Either way, if you follow that tutorial, it does a good job of of going over the the basics of the the structure of a Chrome extension. So check that out in the show notes. Okay, so the next link is to an uh, I guess a post called the world's newest, most gloriously designed maps. So I found this really kind of cool and interesting, just a little extra uh, kind of in the design world. And I thought I'd bring it in over here on the podcast is it's on atlasobscura.com. So it's talking about this new Atlas, the 2018 Atlas of Design. So I'm just going to read the first couple of paragraphs here that kind of explain explain it better than I can probably do myself. So it says, Calling all map enthusiasts, the North American Card- Cartographic Information Society will soon be releasing the 2018 Atlas of Design, its latest compendium of the world's newest and best maps. Every two years since 2012, NACIS, which was the North American Cartographic, Cartographic Information Society. <laughs> anyway, a nonprofit organization that supports and promotes cartography has released a new volume of maps carefully selected from hundreds of entrants by a panel of judges. This year reveals a bumper crop of map makers. NACIS received over 300 submissions for just 32 spots. The entrants were judged by a panel of 12 and Lauren Tyranny who co-edited the Atlas of Design along with Alethea Steingeiser, Steingisser and Caroline Rose acknowledges a healthy divergence of views. We don't believe we don't believe there's any way to really be objective about something like this. She says the judges were often in disagreement on almost every map was scored well by at least one judge and poorly by another. This disagreement was exactly our goal in bringing the panel together because our aim was to ensure that the final selection was not dominated by one style or taste, but held something for everyone. So basically, this Atlas of Design is a really cool book, and there's a link to the atlasofdesign.org where I believe you can order the book. And essentially... They take all sorts of different maps that people design and create uh, that cartographers actually create. So there's a bunch of different maps and things that they select from. So essentially, people submit their their maps to to these to these judges to this contest. And they are of different things. They're maps of different. If you like maps or as kind of. Maps as art, that's kind of how I would describe it, because they are maps of certain things. So one of the the maps here 
is the glacial landforms of the oh boy Puget Lowland Puget Puget I'm not sure <laughs> either way it is I can't even explain it <laughs> you go to the link in the show notes to kind of check out these different maps there's another one that's like the eastern pacific ring of fire and basically it's people design maps come up with different ways to present mapping information and this atlas is a collection of those things that kind of present maps in a new way and new detail in different ways to present them and some of them are really beautiful um i do like i i don't have i'm not like a map collector or anything but i definitely appreciate a good detailed map and and the things that they make in this atlas are actually pretty cool so i definitely suggest checking that out if you're into that sort of thing and even if not just take a look through some of the pictures that they have because there's actually one that's a six foot long map of the annapolis river which is pretty cool it was actually it was carved on cherry wood and printed by hand on japanese paper using oil-based ink so there's an image of that. <laughs> if you go to that web page, it's the long skinny image because it's six feet long. But it is very cool to look at. And there's other other interesting maps on there, too. So like I'm not a map geek, like I was saying, but I definitely have an appreciation for the level of detail that go into these things. It's very, very cool. So check that out in the show notes. Okay, so the last link that I want to share is uh, on theregister.co.uk, and it's called, it's an article called No Need to Code Your Web Page Yourself, says Microsoft. Draw it, and your our AI will do the rest. And the subhead is bots try to shift web designers into quality assurance. So essentially, this is my, my link to an article that will eventually put me out of a job. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I do print and web design, so... Not too worried, but it's kind of interesting because it goes over the uh, the fact that Microsoft has introduced an AI infused web design tool called Sketch to Code that converts hand drawn web page mockups into functional HTML markup. It's not to be confused with a similar Airbnb project that has been referred to unofficially as Sketch to Code. For years, drag and drop web pages, web page building apps have been capable of much the same thing, allowing users to move predefined and custom objects into a digital workspace in order to generate the working web code. So essentially, uh, Microsoft, if you draw out kind of a wireframe on a, like say a whiteboard and take a picture of it, send it to this sketch to code AI, it will build, I believe like an HTML or it, it'll output the layout or the generated code will be can be output as HTML, XAML, I'm not sure what that is, and UWP. <laughs> so you can actually submit your wireframe drawing to this AI that Microsoft has built, and it will generate code of that layout. And so, and even in a UWP, which is crazy, uh, which is the universal Windows platform i'm not sure i can't remember what uwp stands for right now but kind of crazy that they have an ai to do this to automatically generate code from a drawing for the web or other types of code so and again this is all being done in the cloud and i believe that links back to microsoft azure <laughs> so uh that kind of ties me back into that but uh check out the article it's kind of interesting to read through and hopefully this 
this might, I don't know, I guess I better start learning to draw out wireframes on a, on a whiteboard because that seems to be all I'll need to do <laughs> in the future to build a website. I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, interesting read, uh, like I said, on the register.co.uk. And yeah, I'll put the link in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, so just to wrap things up here on episode 39 of the Pixel Swim podcast, uh, visit pixelswim.com for... Uh, again, for the show notes, it'll leave some feedback. Uh, I appreciate everybody tuning in as always, and just keep the feedback coming. I really am grateful for it. Uh, uh, good conversations being had <laughs> offline on these, well, not offline, off the podcast, I guess, uh, on all these topics that I'm talking about. So I'm always curious what other people are are thinking of the things that I find and the, all of my thoughts and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, as always, thank you for tuning in, and I, I appreciate everyone that has tuned in for 39 episodes, which is crazy. So we, I'm jacked that I'm still going. <laughs> so uh, definitely getting feedback, and and everybody that's listening has made it a lot easier for me. So just uh, thanks again, again, Pixelswim.com for show notes and social links and to leave feedback. And you can email me too at steve at pixelswim.com. And yeah, so have a great afternoon or drive home or drive in to work or to band practice or <laughs> not sure why that popped in my head. But either way, have a great night or afternoon or whatever time it is when you're listening to this. So thanks again and Godspeed. Godspeed.